You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Uh, it's pretty cool that we're celebrating two years. Turn to your neighbor and say, happy birthday. It is Banner's two-year birthday since we launched. Uh, we met in a school before, so you know people are like, is this technically our birthday? And I'm like, yes, because I said it is. Uh, no, it's our birthday of launching into this building. You know, we, we did all of our previews and our weekly. We met in a school, in a church, and um, then we launched in here November 5th, two years ago. And my wife and I have been in charge, have been lead pastors for a year and a half. So it's been a crazy journey, but it's been amazing what God has done. Like we, we've been supporting, or, you know, like as a church, when I say we, I don't mean Katie and I, I mean like, like we, <laughs> Like, we have supported multiple things in our community, reaching and loving and caring for this city. We have, I mean, done everything. I was looking, I, I saw my brother Jamin was here. I mean, we've done everything from, like, teaching English classes to refugees to loving on Garfield Elementary downtown to sponsoring missionaries, 27 missionaries around the world to um, we sent our incredible uh, pastors, Dana and Bridget, to Thailand to lead a, a sister church there, uh, reaching over 40 different nationalities. We give them tens upon tens upon tens upon hundreds of thousands of dollars away to missions to just reach the world for gospel. People have been saved out of sex trafficking. Uh, people have been given opportunities and jobs and homes. People have been, um, most importantly, their life has been transformed. We've had dozens of people just this year give their life to the Lord. We've had dozens of people get baptized. And so it's so cool because what started with just like 15, 20 people in a house, just like up in McCormick Ranch, has ended up here. And we were just recounting the other day, like, wow, this year I was so excited because we had 94 people in service. And last week we had 154, uh, you know, with kids, everybody. And I think that's just so cool to see. And people are like, oh, it's another church about numbers. And I'm going to say, yeah. Yeah, I'm about numbers. Because when I get to heaven, I want numbers. Like, I'm about souls in the door, people getting saved, lives being transformed. I don't make more money because more people come on a Sunday. Like, you know, like I, I'm about people getting into heaven. I've given my life to this church. I know some of you guys have given your life and your time and your resources. And so I just want to take a second and us all together to just a round of applause celebrate what God has done through you and your obedience in this church. Amen. Can we celebrate that? Amen. So cool. So cool. Uh, I'm just, I'm in love with this church. I was in Spokane for a wedding. It's been a kind of a crazy week, honestly. Um, if I'm sniffling and a little losing my voice, it's because I had a stomach virus. And then I uh, was throwing up all night. Then I got on a plane, uh, which that puts some fear in you. Uh, <laughs> and I was feeling better, so I didn't get everybody else sick. I was like, I feel good. I'm good to go. Then I went to Spokane, and it was like a minus 1,000 degrees. And, uh, and I got a cold, and so it was great, great wedding, um, but I was just praying through it. I sent our slides person the wrong, uh, the wrong, you know, address for the Bible. I was just all over the place, but uh, really praying this morning that as we go through this scripture, because I believe that God has a word as we're in our Exodus series, I'm just praying, God, would you speak through me? So would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you uh, that your word is true. I thank you that your word speaks, and so I pray this morning as I walk through this expository sermon, going through your word, I pray that it would just speak life to us and truth to us, and so we give it to you in Jesus' name, amen. I want to do something this morning, is I want to read all of Exodus 4. 
Uh, it's a lot of scripture, but it gives us a lot of context. And I worry sometimes if we chop stuff up too much that we miss the flow of what God's doing. And uh, I'm going to preface it right now by saying there's some weird bits in here. And considering chapter 3 was Moses talking to a bush that was on fire but not on fire, for me to say chapter 4 is weird is really saying something. Um, but it, gets, it starts a little weird, then it gets a little weirder, but in a super cool way. Uh, so I want to read all of chapter 4. Can we do that together? All right, if you brought your Bible, open up. If not, I believe the words will be on the screen. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie Lynn. Uh, I want to read us starting in, in verse 1. <clears throat> It says, then Moses answered, talking to the bush, remember, God in the bush. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, meaning the Hebrew people. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. We talked about this last week. He said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran away from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe you with the latter sign. If they will not believe even with these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, the river, and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Meaning, I wasn't when you started talking, I'm still not. Uh, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he, meaning Moses, said, O oh, oh my Lord. Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with you and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Then take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. If you're still with me, say signs. Not the movie about aliens. Verse 18. Moses then went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go to my brother in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Remember, Moses is in this position because he killed somebody. And I don't know if that Egyptian had family, but safe to assume that somebody cared that he was murdered. They're no longer looking for Moses. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 
Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, this is going to get a little weird, but roll with me. Everyone good? Okay, cool. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin, roll with me, and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are our bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which had been sent him to speak and all the signs he had been commanded to do. It says, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did all the signs in the sight of the people, the Hebrew people, the elders. And the people believed, and when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their head and worshipped. Somebody say amen. 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 I know that that is a a, a lot of scripture, but I think it's important, and we're going to go back and touch upon it, that we have the context. But as I was uh, preparing for this sermon and reading this scripture, I was celebrating our second birthday And I really thought about the contrast between uh, where I thought my life would end up when I was younger and and how my life has gone. And I remember distinctly in my life this moment of, of loving the Lord and knowing about the Lord, but really having to choose, will I live my life in obedience to God? Will I go where he says to go? Will I do what he says to do? Or will I just love the idea of him? Are you with me? Like this idea of, God, I'm going to do whatever you say. And that was a scary moment in my life. But I gave that to him. And I said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go wherever you say to go. And God said, I'm going to take you to Arizona. And, and he put a heart on my wife and I and our family to come to Arizona. And I'm glad that that came from God. Because if I could be honest, if it didn't come from God, I probably wouldn't still be here. Because it has been the craziest three years of my life, honestly. Like, never in my life have I felt so ecstatic and so inadequate. Anyone ever had those seasons of, like, so much victory and so much defeat simultaneously? Like, our, I think we're winning because we're winning a lot, but we're also losing. So, like, what, what's the score? But what's amazing is I approach a season of my life. Never before has God so clearly asked me, are you going to trust me regardless with me? Are you going to obey me regardless? Are you going to follow me? And that's easy to say when things are going uh, good and you feel powerful. It's hard when you feel inadequate. Right? It's, it's hard when you're like, God, how am I supposed to fill in the blank? Like, how am I supposed to deal with this family that I have? Right? Like, I know I trust you over here with my finances because I'm making money. But over here in my family, like, how am I supposed to fill in the blank? How am I supposed to trust you with my health? And I haven't felt good for years. Are you with me? And I, and I think often in my own life, I, I felt inadequate. God, how am I supposed to uh, uh, convince a culture of people that want on-demand friendships with no sacrifice, that want to be able to call up anybody at any time to have a friend, but don't want to be dependent on it all, right? Like that is our culture. How am I supposed to build a group of people that are friends in, in a culture that doesn't even understand friendship? Like how? 
And yet, as we've been ministering and walking and learning, God says, God says will you be obedient to me and I, and I will do it. That's what I love. I love a church full of people that are my friends and that I love and that are good to each other and support one another. But that's not because of me. That's because of God. But there was a question in my life. Are you going to lay awake and freak out and stress out? Or are you going to say, God, I trust you. I follow you. I commit myself to you. But so often I think we wonder, how can God use me? I talked last week, use what's in your hands. And some of you left feeling empowered. And some of you left just feeling stressed out. Like if you really knew me, Pastor, you would know that what is in my past is greater than what's in my hands. But I want to encourage you today because what we see in Exodus 4, I feel like there's one really clear, solid idea that I want to express to you. And if you can get a hold of this, I believe it's going to encourage you and strengthen you and correct you and guide you this week. So I want to give you a phrase. If you've got notes, write this down. It's my only point. My only point today. One point, not three. One. One point today. You ready? God's power flows through obedience rooted in faith. I wish I was smart enough to have come up with that, but I heard that a long time ago, <laughs> and it's still true. God's power flows through obedience rooted in faith. One more time, because you're writing it down and you're committing it. You're going to get it tattooed on your arm later. I got some space. Maybe we'll go together. Um, <laughs> God's power flows through obedience rooted in faith. We see that all through scripture, but in Exodus 3, we see Moses talking. Exodus 4, God is talking, and God gives his word to Moses. But it's not until Moses steps into that word in obedience that God's power is revealed. Not before. During. Not before he's obedient. During obedience. And it's interesting because as people, there's always a reason to not be obedient. Right, like we can always find a reason to not be obedient. Moses, I think has a pretty decent excuse, but he says, they're not going to believe me. Verse 1, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Why does he say that? Well, let me give you some context. If you murder somebody and disappear for 40 years and then come back and say, I'm the voice of God, they might have some doubts. I mean, fair? Like, if you killed somebody and then showed up 40 years from now and you're like, hey, pastor, I'm the voice of God, I'd be like, Sure you are, man. <laughs> Let me leave security. <laughs> right? There's some doubts there, right? There's some human doubts of like, God, they're not going to believe me because I didn't really leave Egypt on great terms. And I'm 80 years old now. And this is kind of my thing, shepherding God. They're not going to believe me. Not only that, but Moses belonged to the Hebrews. He was a Hebrew person. But Moses grew up in an Egyptian home. And if you know anything about a dominant class or, or a subjective class, usually a group of people that are slaves does not look kindly on one of their own growing up with those that are enslaving them. Fair? There would be obvious tension there. There would be obvious issues there. And so Moses has real insecurities. But what I love is that God does not speak to Moses' insecurities. He's not like, oh, no, Moses. Like, no, it's okay. You know Egyptian. You got it, buddy. Like, you know, like, like, you know how to draw the symbols and stuff, you know, like nobody knows that they don't even know, you know, like, you know how to build pyramids or whatever Egyptians do. Right. He's like, you know, you know, the Hebrews and you know this. He doesn't speak to that at all. That's what I love about God is that he doesn't scold him. He doesn't speak to the insecurities. He doesn't try to, like, build up who Moses is. He points him to God. This is so important. 
It's when we are insecure, the goal of God moving in our life is not to build us up to spite our insecurities. It's to just point us to God because God is all-powerful and almighty. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Amen. And so in, the, in this moment, God's going to show Moses' power through the signs because God's power flows through obedience rooted in faith. And so when we look at Exodus uh, 4, verse 1 through 5, we get the first sign. It says this. He says, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Okay, I think that's a reasonable response. Just a rule of thumb, if you throw anything on the ground and it becomes a serpent, bounce. Like, run away. Like, you walk in with your bag, you throw it on the ground, serpent. Like, I would run. Like, 100%, 100, 100 out of 100, run. <laughs> and so he does what's normal, because if you're a shepherd and you see snakes, you, that's a problem. It's like a serpent. It's, it's, it's problematic. And so he runs from it, and then God, in his way, <laughs> says... Grab it by the tail. <laughs> I just picture Moses like, <laughs> yeah, God, um, <clears throat> I know you made snakes. Uh, I don't know if you know how they work. <laughs> but you don't grab them by the tail. If there was a recipe for how to get bit by a snake, grabbing them by the tail would be step one. How to get bit by a snake. You know, an article by Moses, step one, grab snake by tail. Step two, get bit by snake. And that would be it in order. And yet God says, grab it, by, not grab it by the head, not grab it in the safe space, not get a longer stick and poke it down and get crocodile hunter on it and get down there and get it by the neck. He says, just grab it by the tail like it's no big thing. And I love that he says this because it's so risky, it's so dangerous, it's so abnormal and I love that it counters this idea of, like, I just have to have peace in my heart about whatever God asked me to do. I just have to have peace. No, you should have peace if you're in obedience. That's where your peace should come from. I'm walking in obedience to God, so I feel at peace. Not this isn't risky, abnormal, or dangerous. God asks people to do risky things all the time. And you can have peace in your spirit in something that should be scary because you're with God. Are you with me? And so he says, go ahead and grab that snake. And so Moses acts in obedience. When do you think it turned back into a staff? Right here? Like, <laughs> right here? Right? And now it's a staff, right? Like, it's not, not till it was in his hand. Right? Think about that. Not till he grabbed that thing. You know what it takes to grab a snake by the tail? Trust that God's going to turn that thing back into a staff, Right? He didn't say grab it by the tail and I'm going to turn it into a staff. He just said grab it by the tail. He just gra grab it by the tail. It could have turned into like a balloon and flew off. We don't know. And you don't know. He doesn't know. Real time, people. And so he says grab it by the tail. Grab this thing. He says, Moses, in your life, there are going to be things that I call you to that require obedience that are uncomfortable, that are risky, that seem abnormal. There's going to be things in order for me to use you for all that I have intended and for all that I have called you to. You're going to have to be okay with obeying what I have to say. Even when you don't want to obey. It says you got to put your trust in me. And when you put your trust, your faith that I am who I say I am, then my power will flow through you. 
And I love that the snake isn't just like a cool thing and a cool moment. It's an important visual symbol that he's going to show the Israelites. Because in Egypt, uh, and I love studying uh, history, especially in the Bible, because it just opens it up even more, is in Egypt, Pharaoh would wear a crown on his head that had a hooded cobra on it. I'm sure it looked exactly like this. And uh, when he put on this crown, this is my crown, when he put on that crown, it would be as if he were a god. And the, the, the serpent would be facing out towards people, and he would be the authority and power of God. He would be a God to the people. And so all growing up, I can stop that. All growing up, the Hebrews and the Israelites, or the Hebrews and the Egyptians would have understood that that snake was a symbol of the power and the might of Egypt. The power and the authority. Pharaoh is a God. He is like a God. You know, the snake has the power. Cobras are scary, right? The snake has all the power and all the authority. And so you know what God says? He says, just go ahead and just grab that snake by the tail like you don't care, right? Like nothing is a deeper burn to Pharaoh than, oh, yeah, symbol of power and authority. So super cool, like, woo, because there's something that God is saying where he's showing his power to say, listen, you can just grab a hold of this thing in the snake. And we'll see later in the plagues how the other guys are trying to reproduce this. They make more snakes, but turns out God's snakes just eat those snakes. It's like turns out. The ways of God are greater than the power of man. Are you with me? And so what God is trying to show here is, is, listen, all of the military, all of the might, all of the authority, all of this false godhood of Egypt is so minimized by the pure power of God. And he doesn't use a perfect person to show it. That's where your hope should be today. Is that he doesn't say, Moses, get perfect, and then I'm going to use you. He says, just grab it by the tail. Just walk in faith and obedience. And I love that God uses this messy guy, 80-year-old shepherd, out with sheep to perform one of the most powerful defiant moves in the face of the most powerful dynasty in history at that moment. Okay, let's keep going. Next one. The leprosy. Verse 6. It says, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. This is probably the craziest one to me. If right now you put your hand inside your jacket and pulled it out and it had stage four cancer, you would freak out, right? Because we're working in real time here. And so mo like you would never look for quarters again. Like if there was an inside, you just throw that jacket away. You don't need that jacket. Like just get rid of it. I'm telling you right now, if I put this in leprosy, even if I put it back in, it was fine. I would never wear this jacket again. I'm just telling you because Lord only knows. I'd be looking for my phone, come out, have like, I don't know, hives or something. Uh, but, but there's this moment where, where, where he puts his hand in lepros, and then in just an instant, he puts it back in and it's healed. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's like a cool part of No, it's more than that. In Egypt, in the ancient world, leprosy was a death sentence. If you got leprosy, you were going to die 100%. Not 90%, not experimental surgery, 100%, you're going to die. Unless you're miraculously healed. And so think about this. Egypt had spent, we know historically, a fortune of money and some of their best minds trying to cure leprosy with, guess how, get, no result. No result. They couldn't fix it. They couldn't solve it. They couldn't scratch the surface. They couldn't do anything about it. But in a moment, this unqualified, insecure, exhausted mess of a person, because of the power of God through obedience, cured. 
think about that. Think about how enraged you'd be if you were an Egyptian scientist. Like, how? But that's the moment. Is It's the obedience to do what God said. He reaches in, boom, leprous. And then it's like all the money, all the power, all the authority, all the might, all the minds cannot fix this, cannot solve this, cannot heal this, can't do anything. But boom, God did it in a minute, in an instant, just like that. And he did it with, again, I, I'm just going to keep coming back to it. An insecure, a messy, an imperfect person because of obedience rooted in faith. God did in an instant what all of Egypt could not do in a thousand years. And then he tells them this. If they will not believe these two signs, I don't know how you couldn't, but let's, you know. If they will not believe, meaning the, the leaders, if, you, if they will not believe these two signs, take some of the water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water will become blood on the dry ground. So the most important thing in Egypt is the Nile. If you look at a map, you can go on Google Maps later, look at a map, you will see a solid amount of beige and then a tiny triangle of green. And that's because the Nile is a source of life, so much so that it was called Hopi or Happy, I don't know, I don't speak Egyptian. Uh, and that was the, the child of Osiris that would nourish the land. And every year at flood season, it would bring 30 feet of black soil. Just imagine right now, if the valley here flooded with 30 feet of black soil, I mean, that'd be a farmer's delight, right? Like if you grew, I grew up in a floodplain, so 30 feet of black soil, that's the jam. And so when the soil comes up and when the soil comes over the earth, it nourishes and it feeds the land. And so they worship Hopi. They worship the Nile. And as they worship the Nile, they, they would give offerings and they would be a God, the most powerful God. And so what God tells Moses to do is to take a cup of the Nile, lift it up, and pour it onto the ground, and it's going to become blood. Basically, the answer to how do you kill a river god is you turn it to blood. And I don't know if you knew this, but if you go to another culture, step one should not be kill their god if you want to be around for a while. <laughs> if you want to have a good rest of your weekend, don't start by murdering uh, their perceived God. But that's what God tells Moses to do. Step one, kill their God. Because that's what it is. And what I love about this moment, remember, uh, the power of God flows through obedience, root, and faith, is it doesn't become blood in the cup. It doesn't become blood as he's pouring out. It becomes blood when it hits the ground. Because that would be way too easy and take no faith if it became in the cup. Like, God, I'm just going to trust you and then it's all going to work out. Okay, good. Now I'm going to follow you and obey. It becomes blood when it's poured out on the ground, when it's poured out for the Lord. And I think that's a powerful moment because we often want it to be in the cup. God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do this thing. But listen, if I pour this out and it doesn't go well for me, uh, I might lose my job. And God, there's nothing worse than losing my job. I can't be obedient if there's a risk that it might not work out. But he says, Moses, pour it out. He says, Moses, despite all your inadequacies, I'm going to use you in one of the most powerful and dramatic moments in Egyptian history. Because when you walk in obedience, there's power. There's authority. And I think so much that's God. God doesn't 
break the loaves and multiply them in our hands. He multiplies them when we give. God doesn't multiply the oil until you pour it out. God doesn't take the staff and turn it until you lay it down, right? It doesn't turn back until you pick it up. Are you with me, right? The move of God happens in the move, in the obedience, in the faith. See, we keep wanting for everything to turn and happen before it costs us or risks us anything. But God is saying the power flows through obedience. So if you don't have obedience, you won't have the power. Are you with me? So let me ask, despite all your insecurities, despite all your past failures, despite maybe missed potential, is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith? Despite everything in your past, despite everything in your background, is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith? I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm not asking if you don't struggle. I'm asking, is your relationship with God marked by small steps of obedience rooted in faith that God is who he says he is? You say, well, if I saw the signs that Moses saw, I would definitely believe in God, right? Like if you woke up tomorrow and like your front, uh, if one of these trees was on fire and we came in, you'd be like, well, I would definitely listen then if uh, this little tree out here was on fire and God was speaking from it. But I haven't seen anything like that, right? I mean, surely if I saw like a pillar of fire, then I would just do whatever God says. You would think that. Uh, History would tell us that's not true, though. (laughs) History would tell us that people are funny. That we make excuses. (laughs) Moses in verse 10 says, but Moses said to the Lord, someone say Lord. Ooh, someone say Lord. Lord, Lord, like you mean it, like you're from the south. Lord. There you go. Good job. Someone turn on the fans. Um, Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I love the Lord word Lord here is actually the word Adonai. Someone say Adonai. It really means master, creator of all things. He's saying, God of all authority and all power, you're my master in charge of all things, but you don't know about my mouth. And God's like, I'm pretty fully aware of your mouth. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty fully aware. I made it, actually. In fact, I made all of them. (laughs) Amen. Siri. (laughs) God said, I made the mouth. I can make it work. But I love that God doesn't humor Moses. He points it back to him because this is so important. Some of us are not walking in the power God has for us because we're looking more at our gut and less at his glory. We're looking at the ways we fall short and not the way he is greater. The ways that we are inadequate and not the way he is great. I felt when I moved down here, God said, you got to stop focusing on your perceived incompetence and start focusing on my omnipotence. That's the focus of our heart is the question is, am I going to be completely obedient to God? This is so important because it's easy to obey the things we want to obey. That doesn't count. It's easy to obey when we were already going to do it. It's hard to obey when when God is calling us to something that's scary or abnormal or difficult or not what we want to do or sacrifices something in us. That's when it's scary. That's when we're like, God, I know what I should do, uh, but I can't do it now, maybe someday. God, I can't, be, I can't be regularly a part of the body of believers, but someday when I have kids and I want them to know God, then we might prioritize that over soccer and then we'll be there, I promise you, God. 
God, maybe when I, when, I, when I get this job, maybe when I get things figured out, maybe when I get the right person, maybe then I'll give it to you. God, I, I don't have the schedule where I can spend time with you. I don't, you know, like, God, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. It's called delayed obedience. God, I know what you're calling me to. I've done this. God, I know what you're calling me to. I know how you're calling me out, but I just can't right now. Anyone ever said that in your spirit? I know how you've called me, but I can't. But hear me, this is so important. As your pastor, as a shepherd, hear me say, delayed obedience is disobedience. I want to read to you verse 24. This is my last part here. And this is the weirdest part. You thought I was going to skip it, but we're not skipping it. <laughs> I can't because it's too weird. Y'all would send me emails about circumcision all week. It'd just be weird. Um, <laughs> But, but this part is fascinating. It says, at a lodging place along the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now, we don't know exactly if the him is his son because it's referencing firstborn or the him is Moses. There's debate about that. But what we do know in this moment, then Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. It was just so gnarly and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. There's a lot of things we don't know, but we do know that God seriously takes into account delayed obedience. And and we know that God had given Abraham a covenant. Genesis 17, 9, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, uh, after you throughout generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you and me, you and your offspring, after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. And as much as I hate saying that word that many times, uh, covenants are important. I just did a wedding. Covenants are not contracts. Covenants use covenant language, like, till death do us part. That's covenant language, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, not like when so party A does not meet the conditions of party B. That's contract. Till death do us part, that's covenant. And it turns out that God values covenants. He is serious about covenant. He's so serious, he sent his son to create a new covenant. That's how serious he is. But Moses chose to raise his son outside of the covenant that he was aware of. And this is so important. Inside the covenant is forgiveness. Outside of the covenant is judgment. Hear me. Inside of the covenant, forgiveness. Outside of the covenant, judgment. And God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you're Moses or Kyle down the road. You're in the covenant or you're not. And especially the old covenant, because it's a whole different. <laughs> but in this moment, Moses knew what to do. We know that they know what to do because his wife did it in an instant. And you don't stumble upon circumcision and do it on the road just really quick, not knowing what to do. I feel like that would be a bold move. I, you know, not there during that process, but I imagine it's, you know, quite extensive. <laughs> so they knew what to do. They just didn't do it. Are you following me? Obedience is actually kind of important. And I know it's not popular, and I'm not trying to condemn. I'm trying to direct, because that's literally my job, to shepherd. To shepherd, to God. I want to guide us in what Scripture says, is that inside the covenant is life, forgiveness, fullness of life, and outside of the covenant is judgment and death, even for Moses and Moses' son in that moment. You're like, wait, I'm so confused, and I'm concerned for my sons. Well, <laughs> I want to tell you, like, we live in this blessing of being in the new covenant, 
And we're told in Colossians that, that we have received the circumcision by Christ, not of the flesh, but having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working God who raised you from the dead. It says, and though you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him, having forgiven all the trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, thank, thankfully, you don't have some fleshly outward covenant that you have to have now. The covenant that, that, that we have, the sign of the new covenant we've actually been given according to Colossians is baptism. Like, that's why I love baptism. Because baptism, people say, what is baptism? Baptism is I die to myself and I'm raised up in Christ. That's an outward reflection of an inward transformation. Because we now are under the new covenant. Thank goodness we do not have to be under the old covenant. I am so thankful for that. I don't know if you're a Christian here this morning, but you should just be so thankful you're under the new covenant and the grace of God. I am so thankful. Uh, the more I read the Old Testament, I'm like, whoo, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But that's the sign of the new, of, is, is listen, that I, I was dead to myself and my sins and I'm raised up. This is my new covenant. I might be broken. I might still mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to trip and fall. I'm imperfect. But God has my heart fully. I have given him my heart. And I pursue him in obedience. I run after him. I seek after him in his word. And that's all God wants. He knows we're not perfect. He just wants our heart and full obedience after him. Looking for those small steps of obedience just daily that shows our heart is for him. That's why obedience is important. Because to be honest, without living in obedience, church is just kind of a lame hobby. Like, there's joy when we follow the Lord. There's joy when we share the gospel, when we serve others. When we walk with a God who intimately loves us despite all our failings and faults, embraces us and cares for us. And maybe we've never had a father wrap us up and tell us how precious we are to him. But God does that. And God loves us. There's beauty in the intimacy of relationship with God and being welcomed in. And maybe in our life we've never been welcomed in before. There's power in that relationship. There's power in that connection. There's freedom and power in a new life in Christ. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to break chains, right? The church should have power, but it doesn't have power if it's disobedient. It doesn't have power if it's selfish. See, the most satisfied people I know are the people who give of themselves, who serve. The most dissatisfied are the people that only serve themselves. Last week I said, use what's in your hands. But hear me say this week, what's in your hands will only have power if it's given in obedience to God. If it's surrendered to him, if it's given fully over to him to say, God, I, I live in obedience to him. Because there's more to this life than just casually attending church. And we should all just be so thankful for that. There's power and hope and freedom and life. But the power of God flows through obedience and faith. It flows through obedience rooted in, do I really believe God is who he says he is? Will I really follow God? And so I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. <laughs> Thank you for rolling with me as I lose my voice. Is this, two questions. Think about this in your mind as I say them to you. 
Is your relationship with God marked by a desire for obedience and a desire to know and follow him? Is your relationship with God marked by a desire for obedience to, to follow him? If it is, then no matter how imperfect, it's like, I'm not saying, is your relationship marked by reading your Bible every day of the week? That's not what I'm saying. Is your relationship marked by coming to present night? Though I think that's super cool. You should definitely do that. But is your relationship with God marked by a desire to know and follow him? Because if so, you're on the right path. But if not, then you got to ask some good questions of yourself. If the answer is nothing in my life would provide any evidence that I follow Christ. Nothing in my life. If you look at your life and you're like, not my marriage, not how I spend my money, not how I interact with people, not how people know me, none of that reflects that I follow Christ, then, then let me just give you good news. This morning is a great day to start. That's the cool thing. You don't, we don't got to like say, take this goat, go to this mountain, sacrifice it. It's like, no, just today, say, God, I choose to follow you. Tomorrow, when you're like, man, I was, I was selfish today, <laughs> you get to do what again? Choose to follow God. That's the great thing about following a merciful God. It's in that moment we say, God, I, I haven't been. My life isn't marked with obedience for you. But you know what? I want to start today. God doesn't want you to be perfect. He just wants you to be with him, to follow him. He's perfect. There's just so, there's so much more for you. Second thing, question for you this morning is, if, you're a, if you do follow Christ, or you're wrestling with that. And I want you to ask, what are areas in your life where there is disobedience or delayed obedience? And trust me, man, I, I, I got stressed out talking about obedience because I know it's important. There's lots of churches you can go to and they'll never talk about obedience. But it's really my job <laughs> to, to talk about this because I believe in it and I love you and I love this church. And I've given my life to this church and I will give my life to this church till the day I die and for this city. But, but I got to preach the truth, which is God cares about obedience and following him. And so there's a question, what areas in your life are there disobedience or delayed obedience? See, Christians, we want the power of God in our lives. But do you also want the obedience of God? Want the power of God? Do I also want to obey God? God, I want, I want my neighbors to come to know you. God says, tell them. Oh, wait, hold up. <laughs> No, do we have like a mailer or something for that? Right? God, I, I need you to move in my family. And God said, okay, grab it by the tail. You're like, that, God, that's not really how that works. I don't feel comfortable with that. And God's saying, well, do you trust that I am who I say I am? Do you trust that I'm God? Because the power of God flows through obedience rooted in faith. Do you have obedience rooted in faith? Because if you do, you will see God do the miraculous and flow through you. And move in ways you could not imagine. But beyond that, you'll have intimate relationship with the most high God. And that's the most important thing. Is there's a God who loves you so deeply and cares for you so greatly. And has given his son for you and just desires to walk in intimate companionship with you. But you have to choose to follow him. He can't make you do it. Would you stand with me this morning? As you're standing, would you close your eyes and bow your head with me? Before you run out and have this delicious Costco cake that is free of all calories in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to give you a chance to respond here. Every eye closed, every head bowed.
Is your relationship with God marked by a desire for obedience, a desire to know and follow him? Maybe some of you this morning, you came in, you, you've never encountered Christ, and this morning you're hearing, you're like, you know what, I, I want the freedom and power of a new life in Christ. Or maybe some of you, you have been following Christ and took a little detour in life. And you're saying, you know what, today, right now, I just want to say, God, I give myself to you fully. God, you know I'm imperfect. God, you know I'm going to mess up. But my heart is set upon you. My heart is for you. My heart desires to live in obedience with you. And I thank you for your mercy that I'm going to need in this journey and your grace I'm going to need. But God, really specifically this morning, maybe for the first time or again, I'm just going to say, God, I give my life fully to you in full obedience of you. God, I pray that I would have a heart that would reflect a desire for obedience rooted in faith. Maybe for the first time or again, if that's you, you're saying today, I need that fresh moment, saying, God, give my heart fully to you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand, every eye closed, every head bowed. God, I give my heart fully to you. Thank you. Once you lift it up, you can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you this morning. This is my favorite thing. This, you, your eyes are closed, so you can't see me smiling. But this is my favorite thing, is that you don't have to leave feeling condemned, but loved. Because what's so cool is when you say, God, I give my heart to you fully, you don't have to live like hoping like, oh my goodness, am I going to trip? Am I going to mess up? Am I going to fall? Then God's going to stop. God knows you. God knows your insecurities. God knows your shortcomings. But he is just so excited for you in this moment that you would say, you know what, God, my heart's for you. I'm going to press after you. Would you just be with me, strengthen me, encourage me? And he always meets you. He's always with you. And so this morning, I want to pray a strength over your life and a commitment and affirm your choice that you've made this morning. But I want you to just be encouraged knowing that God is so proud of you and loves you so deeply right now. So I want to pray for you. God, I, I thank you in this moment for those that raise their hand and say, God, I choose to follow you with my life. I give my life to you. God, I've been kind of walking. I've been off on this obedience. And God, I just want to be walking with you. I want to set my heart upon you. God, if there's any disobedience or delayed obedience, God, we just lay it down to you. And I say this morning, God, I'm going to pursue you. God, not for greater attendance, not for greater memorization, not for greater religiosity. God, but for a deeper relationship with you. God, I want more of you. And I pray every person that raised their hand this morning that you would just give a deeper revelation of your love to them. Just reveal to them this morning how deeply you love them, how much you are with them, how proud you are of them, how much you support them, how they are your precious son and daughter. And God, I affirm their choice to say I'm pursuing you this morning, God, and I'm coming after you. And God, I pray as they leave this place, as they go from this Sunday, they would go empowered by the truth of your gospel, that you are with us, that you will never leave us, and you will never forsake us. We thank you, Jesus, this morning. I pray for a spirit of obedience in this church, God, that we would be a church where your power flows through obedience rooted in faith. We give it to you. And all God's people celebrated and said, amen. God be praised. Amen.